I loved your line earlier. I'm not in the business of turning business away. I'm not in the business of turning down business. <laughs> yeah. Simple as that. Yeah, you never know when a $5,000 lease is going to lead to a $5 million listing. It happens all the time. Totally. All the time. So here's the thing. Entrepreneurs, leaders, salespeople. We all want to create consistent, repeatable, and scalable ways to grow our business and our income. And we want to do it better, faster, and more seamlessly. Why? So we can actually enjoy our lives, take vacations, and spend the quality time that we want with the people that we love. How do we do all this without spending a fortune or running ourselves ragged? That's the big question. And this show is dedicated to the answer. Hey guys, welcome to a, a really special episode of this podcast. I've got John Grauman, who is an amazing agent from Beverly Hills, longtime client, uh, recently closed a monster transaction, has built a fantastic business, and he's in town, and I said, why don't you stop by and let's do a little podcast. So John, thanks for joining us, man. Of course, man. Good to see you. Appreciate it. So so maybe just for, you know, for the people that you know, don't know you, haven't heard of you yet, sure. um, before we talk about this big monster, crazy, fun transaction, $75 million deal, by the way, um, maybe just give him some optics on how long you been in the business, where do you work, kind of a little, little backstory before we get into the juicy details. Yeah, sure. So I've been in the business now for about 16 years. Um, I actually started as a mortgage broker. And Smart. Yeah, did that for about eight years. Mm -hmm. um, rode that right into the mortgage crisis. And, <laughs> oh, it's your uh, fault. You yeah, did that. <laughs> personally my fault. Yeah. No, it's funny because I'd actually been in the record industry and really? that imploded in 2003 at the sure. dawn Na of Napster. Napster, yeah. Exactly. Yeah. Uh, file sharing and CD burning and so forth. So I jumped ship onto what I thought was a life raft, which was yeah. the mortgage industry. Mm -hmm. Turned out to be the Titanic because it ran into a big iceberg, oh, yeah. in a, you know, known as the mortgage crisis. So yes. I did that for about eight years. During that time, I also got into doing some development. I mm -hmm. built some big high-end spec homes. And then in around 2011, honestly, the mortgage business had just become entirely too miserable. Yes. And I was ready for a change. I'd always wanted to be an agent and just kind of got stuck in doing mortgages. Yes. And finally just said, you know, I got to that moment, that not another minute, not another moment. I'm doing this. I'm doing this right now. And I just mm -hmm. ripped the bandaid off and I went into selling houses and starved for the first year. I literally yeah. did not sell one house for an entire year. Really? What, okay, starved. what is that like going from closing a ton of business because you were killing it on the mortgage side to starting over? The mortgage side, to be fair, wasn't really crushing it in 2011. 2011 sure, was still pretty sure. miserable. But you knew how to do business. I did. You I had yet. clients, you I, were doing transactions, never as much as we want. Yeah, but I knew to how to have that to stop. I knew how to have a steady workflow and I was used to that. Yeah. Um, it was challenging. I mean, you deal with, you know, everything under the sun. You deal with, you know, really what your psychology is, how mm -hmm. to get energized each morning, yep. how to self-motivate yourself and so forth. And it was really tough. I'm not going to lie. It was, I mean, like I said, I starved for a year. The first house I sold was, you know, 550,000, which I understand in certain parts of the country is a very big number. In LA, that's a very small in number. Beverly Hills specifically. In Beverly Hills, it doesn't exist. Yeah. In Beverly Hills, you get a little piece of a sidewalk. Yeah. Um, so yeah, and then just ultimately- How did you, okay, do me a favor, right to the camera for every new agent listening who's gonna be inspired. Tell them how you stayed mentally tough and on your game in the face of disaster. To be fair, I, I didn't oftentimes. I, I folded, I collapsed. I had a lot of really you know dark moments and dark times, but mm -hmm. ultimately, you know, I think I was able to persevere because I was just, I was determined enough that I was gonna make this work and knew that it was just, a matter of building blocks. Yes. Right? It's a compound effect. Yes. And ultimately the water starts to boil and eventually it's just going to spill over. And I knew that I would ultimately get to that point. Yes. Um, 
this isn't meant to be a pitch. Obviously, mm-hmm. you just invited me in here. Sure. But honestly, going to the summit about five years ago was kind mm-hmm. of the turning point. Yeah. Um, you would come into our office. I work at the agency That's in Beverly Hills. With Billy. And I remember doing that. Yeah. I did a, guys, I did a sales meeting. That was like five years ago. But it was because Billy Rose was like, would you come in? And I yeah. was like, of course. Right. And to be fair, I didn't know who you were. Like, yeah. literally hadn't heard yes. of you, didn't know who you were. Yes. And you came in. And I remember the first thing you did, you kind of went around the office and you said, how many listings do you want to get next year? Yeah. And someone said five. How many do you want to get? And someone said 10. How many do you want? You went 20. And you go, you know how many I want? All of them. And I went, mm-hmm. go on. Like, <laughs> tell me more tell about me that. More. Like yes. I was yes. engaged in that moment. Yes. And anyway, so you invited us all to come down to the summit, which was like the next week. And I yep. thought it's right down the street. Like, yes. why would I not avail myself to this? Yeah. And I went the first day for Tom X and yes. you had a bunch of your like long-term coaching clients on stage yep. talking. And this one guy from somewhere, I don't remember, mm-hmm. got to talking. He kind of was, you know, asking these rhetorical questions of the audience. He said, you know, who wants to, you know, who wants to double their business? And everyone cheered. Who wants mm-hmm. to triple their business? And everyone cheered. Who wants to 4X their business? And when he got to that point, the audience got really quiet and he goes, really, are you sure? Because I almost lost my marriage. Yep. I almost lost my sanity. I yep. almost lost this. And my takeaway from that was that this isn't a one man job. No, it's just not. You just, you cannot do this job at a high level by yourself, period, yes. full stop. Yep. Right. There's just too many touch points in every transaction. You just, mm-hmm. you need more people. Yes. My wife now, fiance at the time, was in real estate working for another big agent. And I remember I left there that day. I walked across the parking lot, into my hotel, up to my room, closed the door, picked up the phone and called her. And I said, I want you to quit your job and come work with me. And wow. we had swore never, ever to work together. We were like, really? yeah, like we avoided it like the plague. It was never going to happen. Sure. And that was the moment. That was the turning point that from there, we were able to start delegating. From there, we were able to start understanding, identifying you know, what are your roles and responsibilities? Stay in your lane. I'm supposed to be focused on income producing activities. Yep. You're supposed to be focused on growing the business, managing the escrows. And from there, it just, it grew. Yes. So, so give us a little, like, take us back in time. So in 2013, right? Cause we met in August, right? Of 14. So where was your business in 13? I mean, it was only a couple of years into the business and you sold nothing the first year in 2011. Yeah. Um, I'd have to honestly go back and look, but I want to mm-hmm. say in 2013, you know, I probably did, 10 or 15 million in volume, yeah. um, you know, probably closed 100, 150,000. I remember when I came to Tom, to, to the summit, mm-hmm. I had closed 250,000 that year. And that was the first time I had also said, yeah, it was a big number. And I had, mm-hmm. I had set that goal. I had mm-hmm. actually set it and manifested it and created it and visualized it and focused on it yep. and, and literally came within like a couple hundred dollars of it. Yes. And that was a really powerful moment, right? There's something to be said for for building on wins. Yes. And once you start, you get you know your first win, and then a second one, you start building on that. Mm-hmm. That's when it starts to get really exciting. And I love that you said the compound effect earlier, because that, I mean, that is, it's, you know, it's everything. Do, do the thing, have the power, over and over and over, and eventually it just snowballs, right? The power Positive and negative, exactly. Yeah. So, so that first year, so you were at 250, really, when we met. Yeah. And then you call, was Lauren your fiance then? She was. And you said, all right, baby, all those things we talked about earlier was a lie. Get over here. Let's do this together. She took on the back end. You had the face of the business, the front end. Yeah. What happened in like 15, 16? Give us just some optics, just high level. Yeah, sure. So, I mean, first of all, it was a rocky road. It was yeah. not, I mean, trying to plan a wedding and trying to learn how to, you know, oh, yes. be in business together. Yes. I mean, there were multiple times where we oh, thought, yes. what have we done and how do we undo it? Yes. Um, but we ultimately worked through that. And again, it was really more about understanding what each person's roles are, 
stop swerving, stay in your lane, yeah. um, and, and having that trust and that respect for the other person to do their job. Yes. Right? It's like Bill Belichick, do your job. Exactly. Know what that job yep. is and focus on that. Yeah. Um, so our business really started to grow from there. We went from, you know, I, I never really focused on GCI, I just look at what I take home. Yeah. So we went from, yeah. you know, 250, we doubled it the next year to 500. Mm -hmm. From there we went to 800. Mm -hmm. um, then we start, we crossed over the seven figure mark and started getting into the millions. Yeah. This year we're on track to hit, again, take home, about 2.7 million. Yeah. Congratulations. Thanks, man. Not bad for really exciting. It does. And you go back to 2011. Does that, does that year become more meaningful for you today? Like when you think about just getting your ass kicked over and over again and now being at $2.7 million net to you before, I'm assuming before taxes and expenses and everything else. Yeah. But still, it's a huge number. It's a huge, uh, for sure. Uh, there's, look, I, we are all sort of an image of where we came from. Yeah. And one of the things that Lauren, my wife and I, what we love about our story mm -hmm. is that when we met, it was 2011, when we met, uh, my house was under for, was uh, was in foreclosure. Yeah. Uh, or rather, I was at least getting foreclosure notices. Uh, yeah. Both of our bank accounts were being levied by the IRS. I mean, it was a dark time. You got to remember, yeah. I was a mortgage broker during the middle of the mortgage meltdown. It was yes. dark. Yeah. And to come from that and have and be where we are today, it's incredibly fulfilling and 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 gratifying. Yeah. It's. Um, I'm first of all, thank you. Right. Thank you for sharing that because, you know, oftentimes they see, you know, guys like you and your lovely wife and they see, yeah, you got that. <laughs> so again, I move it around a little bit, um, <laughs> but, but, but seriously, like, thank you just because that level of transparency, like people see people like you and they're like, well, of course, look at him. He's handsome. He's smart. He makes all this money. He does all this great. He's a killer. Blah, blah, blah. But no, like, like you were humbled and you did something about it. Right. A lot of people get humbled and then they do nothing. Yeah. So, so where did that come from in you? I mean, take me back to a little, like maybe farther back in your life. Were you always like this? Uh, to a certain extent, yeah. I've always been really driven. I've always just had drive and ambition. And it hasn't always been particularly focused or targeted. I've mm -hmm. just always wanted to, I don't know, I've always wanted to excel. I've always wanted to do great, mm -hmm. right? I've always just, my, my pillars have always just been achievement and an accomplishment, yeah. right? Whatever that means and whatever it is I'm focused on. So yeah, I, again, I don't know exactly where that comes from. I have to credit my parents really for, I think, yeah. everything that I am because I was really blessed to be you know, born into a loving family with two incredibly wonderful parents. My mom's a therapist. So, helpful. you know, very helpful, yes. you know, very taught from a young age. It's okay to cry. It's okay to talk about your feelings. Yep. My dad was in sales, right? So I kind of had that's like the best of both I, worlds. I, I mean, you know, as I hear myself talk about it, it's like, oh, right. Yeah, one plus one. Got it. Yeah, <laughs> yeah I mean, it equals 10. Exactly. Yes. Um, so I, I don't know. Um, but I, you know, again, there have been multiple sort of pivotal moments in my life. Mm -hmm. um, one of them was, as I, said, as I said earlier, coming to the summit. One of them was finding, uh, finding Tony Robbins yeah. and, and all of his teachings and principles, yes. which has been incredibly impactful in my yeah. life. Yeah, um, you, and me, you and me both. Yeah, well, yeah. yeah. He's one of those people just put on yep. this earth for a very special reason. Exactly. Yeah. So, um, yeah, just finding gratitude and uh, I don't know. I don't know how else to answer that question. That's good though, man. I just, again, I just, I just appreciate just the straightforward, no BS, total honesty, you know, just keeping it real. So, I, so I, I'll, I'll yeah. just talk on that for yeah. just one quick second. Please. So I, 
you know, I, I didn't have a great upbringing. Uh, I, I, high school wasn't a very pleasant experience for me. I just was one of those people that just, for some people, it's the greatest time in their life. And for other people, it's just, what the hell are yeah. we doing here? And yeah. how can I move yes. this ahead quick, more quickly? Yes. And that was me. I was the latter. So um, I wanted out and I uh, wasn't willing to just kind of sit and be miserable. So I did a couple of different things. Mm -hmm. I went to my parents and went to our my, my uh, advisor and worked out an arrangement where I was able to go, I was way ahead of my credits, so I was able to go to high school from eight to noon during the day, and I was able then to go to college, junior college, from noon to four in the afternoon. Really? Which was just something that at least it stimulated me, yes. it challenged me a little bit yes. more. And then, I know this is gonna sound really weird, but um, I also, this is like mid-90s, keep in mind, I found the rave scene. Oh. And that just completely <laughs> blew my mind. I know it's it not what I was expecting to hear. Going. I know I took yeah. a hard left here you in know, the I conversation. Went, I, went, I went to school twice, right? High school and college. And then I danced with glow sticks. I'm telling you, but I found this environment that was so loving and so yes. accepting and just completely opened my mind up. Because when you're in high school, that's your whole world. All you know is that right yes. there in that moment. And people live and die by the most petty things that happen in high school. Yes. You take yourself out of that out of that small little existence yep. and you open your world up. You open your perspective up. Yes. And that's where everything changed. And that got me into the music industry. Yeah. Uh, I didn't end up going to college. I went straight into the music industry. I got a job as the head of an AR, uh, head of AR for a record label at 19. Wow. Um, and wow. That, that's what started my journey. Yeah. So going back to like, where did this come from? I mean, yeah. that's kind of where it all came from. You know what's so great about that is uh, just life experiences, right? When you sort yeah. of look at the mosaic of your life and you look at all these experiences, there's there's goods and there's bads, and there's pause moments and there's dead moments and then there's exciting moments. But when you look at the whole picture, it's pretty cool, right? It begins to add up as to who you are today and why you do what you do. Yeah. So I love that. And I, I'm thinking of literally, so I, this, I know this is crazy on a podcast, but um, I was probably 17 the first time I went to a rave. Okay. Right? And it was one of those like, you know, drive to some crazy abandoned building in Los Angeles. Yeah. Give somebody 20 bucks, get a marble, go to some other crazy location, hand them marble, and then dance until five in the morning. Totally. And it was just like as a young kid, it was super fun. My but, poor parents. Sorry, mom, if you're watching. But yes, that's that's where I was. I was not at the movies. But listen, a great takeaway from this is that, look, everything in life goes without saying. I'm not saying anything yeah. that's revolutionary. It's about relationships, right? Always. Those were the relationships I formed 20 years ago when yep. we were breaking into warehouses and doing yep. illegal parties in the middle yep. of the night. That's now a $6 billion a year industry. Bingo. And all my friends run it. Yes. Right. So I'm selling yes. houses to yep. all these big DJs that you see that are playing the clubs in Vegas oh, yes. and headlining oh, yes. EDC. Yes. The owner of EDC is a good buddy of mine for yep. 20 years. Yep. The owner of Coachella is a good friend of mine. Yep. Like these are all guys that like we were kids on the street passing out flyers 20 years ago. Yes. And now I'm selling them multi-million dollar houses. How so cool is that? Just I guess the takeaway from that is just manage those relationships. Don't forget about those people. Keep yes. those little touch points, whether yeah. you're just shooting them an email or a text or checking in with them and having coffee. But yeah. like, treat all those people with respect because that kid that's out on the street passing out flyers mm -hmm. is going to be running a record label one day. Absolutely. Total side note. Do you know uh, Spencer Raskoff, former CEO of Zillow? Yeah. His dad, Joe, uh, Joe actually created, he was the first one that he took all of those um, huge EDDM acts and rolled them up into one public traded company. So he was buying you know, all of SFX. these parties, all these events. Yeah, right. Yeah. And then the whole thing obviously imploded. Yeah. But when you look at like, you know, Spencer, who is, you know, just this straight and super focused, but he grew up in the music industry because his dad was like managing the Rolling Stones and yeah. doing all these crazy things back in the day. So anyway, relationships. Totally. 
So, all right, let's segue. Let's okay. segue. This has been, this is actually so much, like I, I had no idea what to expect. Literally, it was like, he's like, hey, I'm in town. I'm going to this function. Can I come by the office? I'm like, yeah, let's do a podcast. That's how go. it happened. Yeah, so, pretty much. So talk to us about this monster deal. Yeah. Right? So just for context, prior to this, what was the most expensive home you'd ever sold? Uh, a house that I built back in, uh, let's see, we sold in 2014 for 24 million. Um, but uh, aside from that, uh, 14 million was the biggest. I'm in escrow on something right now for 32.5, which will be the second biggest. Wow. Um, but uh, but yeah, it was quite a jump from 14 to 75. So so talk, first of all, I think I know we want to talk about development. So that was you know, Brenda over here was like doing some research. She's like, we gotta ask him about this. But let's let's talk about that 75 million dollar deal. Yeah. First of all, give him context. It, list side by side, and and how did you acquire the client? Sure. And you know, I just want to talk about like what were the lessons along the way? Like, there's gonna be people watching this that literally gonna say, "I'm afraid to go into the high end because I'm nervous. Like, you know, maybe I'm not good enough, or they know something that I don't know." And I'd love to just maybe get rid of some of those myths. For sure, right? Um, so, basic context represented the buy side. Mm-hmm. Um, we, being the agency, the company that I work for in Beverly Hills, uh, we have uh, an exclusive partnership with uh, our international company called, or rather, our international partner is a company called Savills. Mm-hmm. Savills, some of you may know, they're generally renowned as the the largest luxury real estate company in the world, right? Yeah. They're publicly traded on the London Stock Exchange. Yep. They've been in existence for 150 years and have 600 offices all over the country. So mm-hmm. they had sold a couple of properties to this individual mm-hmm. in other countries. Got it. And we got a call from them saying, hey, this person's looking for something in LA. Got it. And we started at a completely different price point in a completely different part of town. Really? Right? So that's that whole saying, sort of like buyers are liars. Mm-hmm. I mean, you just never know. They just, they don't know what they want. They didn't know what they want. Yeah. 100%. I want, I want to be in LA. You're like, hi, that's a 60 bazillion people. Right. And how many nooks and crannies of different cities and towns and nuances. So tell, like, what did they, where do they want to go and where do they end up? So we started in the Sunset Strip um, with yeah. one of our properties that was actually no longer on the market. That's kind of how it came to us as it yeah. wasn't expired. It was one of our own expired listings. They came and said, hey, they're inquiring about this property. Followed up with, you know, reached out to the client. Nothing. Crickets. Yeah. Fortunately, we've learned to follow up. Yes. We followed up again. Then they engaged. Uh-huh. Then we started to build a little rapport, have a little dialogue. Um, some were, rep- you, were you building rapport over the phone or email and text? Uh, actually, it was via FaceTime. Okay, even better. Um, a couple representatives flew out. The mm-hmm. principal never actually came out. A yes. couple of representatives flew yeah. out. Started looking at some homes again. In the Sunset Strip, by no means chump change, like 20 to 30 million, yes. but not 75 million. Yeah. Um, you know, said, okay, we're going to take this information back, speak to the principal about it, so forth. A few weeks pass, and they actually forwarded me this property, mm-hmm. which was on the market for $88 million. Yeah. And they said, well, what about this one? As in, like, why didn't you show us this one, John? Yeah. And I'm like... Well, that, that's a fine property. It's three times the price of what we were looking at where you said it was the absolute max you were willing to pay. That's the key distinction. The absolute <laughs> yeah. max you're willing to pay. I'm sorry like, for showing you what you told me to show you. Totally, yeah. right? Like, it that's had a big ice. lesson for everybody working the it's high true. end. It's a very important lesson. It's true. This happens all the time, particularly in LA. It does where yes. a client says like, I want to buy in the Hollywood Hills. I want to buy in the Hollywood Hills. And then they turn around, they buy something from someone else in Pacific Palisades, yeah. which couldn't be on more opposite yes. sides of the city. And- it just, ha- it just goes to show that like, I don't want to say send them everything because obviously you don't want to inundate people. No. You don't, there's a fine line between being persistent and being a pest, yep. right? You want to know what that line is and be careful not to cross it. And you want to make sure you're sending quality information, right? Mm-hmm. That's relevant and applicable. Like maybe it's not in the area that they said they want to be in, but it ticks all the boxes in terms of style, yes. size, room count, et cetera. Yeah. So in any event, um, 
They I want to came- ask you the first. <clears throat> give give the people that are watching and listening right now. Give us some insight on what's it like to not deal with a principal. Uh, bizarre, like, right? For sure, bizarre. And you never really like, even though this referral came mm-hmm. from a very credible source, there was weeks, actually months, of us not knowing whether or not this was real. Yeah. Just like, how, how real can this be? It was yes. very like smoke and mirrors and yeah, I mean, it just goes, you just got to take your swings, yeah. right? Yeah. If you don't take your swings, you're never going to hit the ball. Yeah. So how, we just kept on playing it out. How many, would you say, like conversations, correspondence did you have, you know, with without the principal involved before you ever even met the principal? Hundreds. Okay. That's a great distinction. I mean, so, so you'd say, well, you know, what, any time during the hundreds, did you say to yourself, this is stupid? This is not. This is going nowhere. Did you ever any of those moments? Oh my God! So I mean, we haven't even gotten into the deal yet. This deal. So I'll just kind of jump right us. to yeah, it. Just yeah. Jump. So in I terms of it. like, what were the lessons from this yeah. deal? Yes. The lessons are particularly on these bigger deals. Is yeah. like you got to think outside the box. Yeah. In fact, forget there is no box. Yes. It's like that scene from The Matrix where it's like there is no spoon. There is no spoon. There is no box. Yes. We veered so far off course on this deal that at certain points, like I never thought we were going to see land again. Yeah. Like we were literally out there in the dark. Like we lost the left engine. We lost the right engine. Like the cockpit's on fire. It was. This deal was pronounced dead on the table at least three or four times and then resuscitated. No joke. Yeah. Like this, I, you guys think I'm exaggerating. No, I'm not. give this us was, an example. This turned into what was meant to be like a 30-day escrow turned into like an eight-month escrow. Wow. Um, an example. Okay. So I don't even know how much. I, there's, there's parts of this that I yeah, obviously can't obviously, really talk about. Obviously. But um, <clears throat> we initially got into a deal under contract that I knew at the time wasn't worth the paper it was written on because ultimately we were dealing with one of the uh, assistants, not Mm -hmm. the principal. And there's a lot of cultural differences when you're dealing with whether it's the Chinese or the Japanese or Mm -hmm. Russian or what Mm -hmm. have you. Mm -hmm. And these people at this price point, when you're talking about multi-billionaire, they march to the beat of their own drum. Bingo. They do what they want, when they want. They don't give a shit about rules. What rules? Yes. Right? They live by one rule, the golden rule. He who has the gold makes the rules. Rules. That's it. So just having to be adaptable to the things that they were throwing at us, like Mm -hmm. the kind of stuff that we would spend literally weeks negotiating the most ridiculous terms. We want a 45-day inspection contingency. And it's like, okay, no one's going to agree to a 45-day inspection contingency. We spend three weeks negotiating that, getting them to agree to it. And then the next day they go, oh, no, 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 that's not going to be enough time. We need way more than that. And it's like, talking about like you yeah this deal i you're like you just spent three weeks getting to the yes exactly we and now it. it's yes. and, and now it was yeah. like they look and you go why did you get us that we don't want that yeah so it was a lot of that it yes. was a lot of just having to be really fluid really adaptable understand that like this doesn't have to fit within a car form no right this doesn't have to Mm-mm. fit within like the nice neat little box when you're talking about tens of millions of dollars upwards of a hundred millions of dollars it, it, that deal's going to come together the way these two principals allow exactly. it to be and their representatives and their attorneys and so forth. So, so I helped a, uh, I helped a buddy of mine who sold a, a big percentage of his company and, and the phrase that was used over and over again is deal fatigue. Mm. Like we're in deal fatigue. Yeah. Like it, it literally, they agreed, they were like this, okay, we love it. Turned it over to the attorneys and like 11 months later, they finally finished the transaction. Yeah. Right. The two principals in the deal literally would come to each other like, I know we agreed on this, but like, what did we agree to? Like, it's been so long, like deal fatigue. Yeah. How do you keep the buyer or the other agent engaged when you're in that deal fatigue mode? It's tough. I mean, what, you know, what we call it is, is negotiation fatigue, yeah. the same thing. Yeah. And, uh, and, you know, we always say, look, time kills deals. 
It just yep. does. Yep. Right. It gives people an opportunity to second guess certain decisions. It gives opportunity for something else to come on the market that perhaps catches their eye or distracts yes. them. It gives opportunity for life circumstance, right? What if mm-hmm. there was an earthquake? That was probably yes. the thing that kept me up most at night once we got it under contract is mm-hmm. please God don't let there be an earthquake while we're in escrow. Yes. Right? Yes. Or a terrorist attack in LA or yes. you know, who knows Anything. what that could be? Anything. Anything. So uh, it, it, it takes two willing participants, obviously. Mm-hmm. The seller, of course, is always going to be there. They're going to be yeah. willing because they have real incentive to get yes. the deal across the finish line. For the buyer, you know, it takes a constant amount of communication. Um, and fortunately, we were dealing with such a specific product mm-hmm. that was so unique that it wasn't really like, well, let me show you these other six options that are perfect, yes. that are, you know, perfectly acceptable as well. This was the house. It was yeah. the one they wanted. It was one of the most spectacular, astonishing homes I've ever seen, period. And I've had the privilege of seeing a lot. Mm-hmm. Um, so yeah, I, look, we went through, I'm going to say three or four different iterations of the contract. And I don't mean amendments to the contract. I mean, the contract was ripped, ripped up, up thrown over. out. Yeah. And I'm dealing with a client who's international in a very different time zone, like 14 hours apart. Yep. So my conference calls were typically 6 a.m., midnight, mm-hmm. 2 a.m. Sure. I mean, there was... You're, there is no clock. There is no, you know, you're just on. Yes, period. it is whatever it takes. Exactly. Whatever it takes. Yeah. Hey, it's Tom. If you've been listening to me for a while, you've heard me say repeatedly over and over again, we are living in the review economy. That's right. Consumers are making decisions based upon reviews. With that said, I'm looking to get this podcast into the minds of more amazing people just like you. You can help. Would you go to Apple Podcasts and write a review? Tell them what you think. Hey, one star, five stars, make up your own number of stars. Totally fine by me, but please go to Apple Podcast and write a review. It means the world to me. Thanks in advance. Now, let's get back to the show. Just for fun, because we had a little malfunction there with the system just for a second, and we were talking off camera about uh, another client situation. So tell the story about Rob Zombie right now, because that people have to hear this. I know we're coming away from the $75 million deal. We'll be back. It's worth it. We'll be back. Um, so I work with a lot of clients in the music industry, again, it's my former industry, and people that like you would not think of, like Marilyn Manson and Rob yes. Zombie, are all clients yes. of mine. So I remember the first time I was out with Rob, and we're driving around looking at houses, and I have him in the passenger seat, and he doesn't know me from Adam, right? Yeah. I'm just trying to like build rapport with him. I just yeah. want to like try to break the ice as quickly as possible. So I just start, you know, just rapping with him, and I was like, "Hey, man, so you know, what are you working on these days?" And he kind of looks at me like, the "Fuck, do you know?" Yeah, I yeah. Just said, he goes, "You know, I'm working on an album and just getting ready to go out on tour." And I was like, "Oh, cool. Who are you going on tour with?" He's like, um, "This band called Corn." And I was like, "Oh, yeah, cool. I used to play softball with Jonathan. I was on tour with them several years ago." And he just kind of like looked at me, and I looked at him, and. <laughs> I just quickly pulled over and like literally put the car in a park. And I was looking at him, I was like, a band called Corn? Corn? Seriously, think I don't know who Corn is? And he's like, well, I don't know. Look at you. And I was like, okay, I get it. Like, yes. I get it. It's a very clean cut look. Yes. Right? The eyebrows, the whole thing. I get it. Yeah. yeah, I, yeah. I, I'm very clear about what I look like. I look yes. at myself in the mirror every day. Yes. But uh, it's just funny that, like, yeah. I get it. No one ever thinks that I came from the rave scene. No one ever thinks that, like, no. the last job I ever had before I got into mortgages was I was on tour with Ozzy and Manson. Like, it's, you know, it's a, I can it's, see that. It's a crazy past, man. Yeah. But, but you know what it is, too? I think the, the lesson that so many people, the mistake that I think so many people make is that they judge that book by the cover. Yeah. Right. And they start, like, in this case, like, oh, he's good looking, he's handsome, you know, this and that, yada, yada. He's not going to understand my scene. Um, one of my clients, and I'm going to be mindful not to say her name, she sold Mike Ness a house, right, from mm-hmm. uh, Social Distortion. Yeah. And, you know, you've all experienced this. She's like, it's Sunday, it's four o'clock, no one at the open house for, you know, for hours on yeah. end. And all she's thinking is just lock this place up, go have a glass of wine. And she's like, literally, Tom, I'm like, 
key in, close the door, car pulls up, guy gets out, you know, Mike Tat. I mean, I saw, I, yeah, saw, yeah. I saw them when I was like 15, right? right. Like, so he looks exactly the yeah, same, right? Same. Hair slicked back, total punk rocker. And she like turns around, she looks, she's just like, oh. And then she's like, <laughs> I heard Tom Ferry in the background <laughs> saying, every person you meet, there's an opportunity. Yeah, she's, hey, how can I help? Oh God, it would just mean the world to me if you'd let me see this house. Bought it, closed in like three days, all cash, went on, went back on tour. Amazing. Right, it's just, it's like we, and it's, I think even more so in the high end, People get intimidated, right? Oh my God, you can buy a two or $3 million house and I'm living in a $400,000 house. Totally. How do you get over that? Um, you know, I think you just have to lean into it, right? You just gotta lean into the pitch. I mean, yeah. I know that sounds kind of like overly simplistic, but yeah. it's the truth. I like that. Like, I, you know, I built my business, going back to like 2011, 12, 13, when yeah. I went from selling no houses to one house to mm -hmm. 10 houses, I built my business on open houses, Yeah. period. Because so, so, I had no book of business to build on, uh -huh. right? All of my mortgage clients had come from realtors. Yes. I wasn't about to get into their business and start taking their clients, no, right? No, I wasn't no. gonna come in yeah. and make a bunch of enemies. Yeah. So I just sat every open house that I could. I prepped for it, I studied for it. I called all the agents in the area and found out what do you have coming on the market? What do you have as a pocket listing? Yep. So I, when people come in, is this your dream house? No, let me pivot you over here. Bingo. I've met Oh my God, everyone from like one of the presidents of Warner Brothers yes. to, I mean, you name it, like major CEOs people. CEOs of would, major companies walk into open think, houses, yes. Yeah, they're gonna walk yes. into an open house. They do, Yeah, they actually do. Yeah, so, so and any hot tips? Like, did you see Andy C, by the way, this year at the summit, do like a total impromptu open house thing? I think so, yeah. Andy's like a legend. Yeah. So big shout out to Andy C. I mean, like literally, here's a guy that he'll do 10 or $11 million in commissions this year, and the vast majority of his businesses, it's geofarming, open houses, yeah. and he says, the farming is killer, but the open house, when I get them face to face, that's when it's over. Yeah. Right. 30, like 30% of the market share in Saratoga, like it's bananas. So what are your, what are your hottest tips on open houses? And then we'll go back to $75 million. This idea. is perfect. Cause I was literally just talking to my team about this last week. Perfect. Okay. So my tips for open houses is number one, as I talked about prep for it, yeah. don't just show up to it. Okay. But go deep on that. Like okay, so someone, but, that, someone that doesn't understand that, what does that mean? The, the buyers that are coming into the houses today, I guarantee more often than not are gonna be more knowledgeable than you are because yeah. they are hyper-focused on that one little neighborhood, that yep. one little community, even yep. that one block, yep. right? And guys, look, we used to be the gatekeepers. If you wanted information about a house, you had to come to us. But obviously now, all this information is readily available online. The yep. transparency of it yep. has allowed so much access to that information. Yep. Buyers are coming in, they're telling you what the house sold down the street for on a price per square foot and who bought it and how many days on market and so forth. So you gotta know your shit. Yeah. So that's one, definitely know everything there is to know about that house, mm -hmm. how many days on market, so on and so forth. Know the But know the, surround, the know the surrounding comps, if you can figure out who, who yeah. sold it, who bought it, right? So I'm sorry, keep going. It's okay, have something to pivot to. Yeah. Because 99.9% .9 of the people yep. that come through that house ain't buying that house. Yep. So what are you gonna pivot them to? Yeah. Have something that's relevant, that's in the same vicinity, ideally something that's off market, because what does everyone want? Something that other people don't okay. have access to. Yep. Okay, so that's number one. Two, um, you know, in, in my opinion, people don't want to be sold when they're coming into an open house, yep. right? If they're going to your open house, you can guarantee they've probably been to five or six other open yep. houses. They don't want to be sold. Yeah. So don't come at them from trying to sell them something. Just mm -hmm. be personable. Mm -hmm. Try to build rapport. Try to find commonality. Mm -hmm. And most importantly, provide value, yeah. right? 
most of the people in our business, and this excludes most of your coaching clients, of course, mm -hmm. but the reality is a huge yes. portion of our business, these people can't walk and chew gum at the same time. No. Right? If you can demonstrate in 30 seconds that you know what you're doing, you know what you're talking about, you're going to instantaneously differentiate yourself from most of the other people they met that day. But you have to do it in a way with poise and confidence and grace without kind of jumping down their throat mm -hmm. and just kind of being chill about it. Yeah. And, and that's... That's kind of how I do it. I love it. I love it. I actually uh, was talking to Ivy Zellman. So Zellman reports, if you guys haven't checked that out, you absolutely should. She said, like, the most important, the most important reason why consumers are going to select an agent today, especially in the high end, is market knowledge and that, that, that knowledge of what's happening in the town on a localized level. Yeah. And I'm blown away by how often I'll say to people, like, you know, on Instagram when people are like, hey, Tom, how do you, what do you recommend about this? I'm like, well, number one, every day you need to go to the daily hot sheets. You need to study all new listings, all new sales, all trends, what's moving, what's not moving, what price points. And people are like, why would I do that? I'm like, how do you do anything? Right, exactly. How do you do anything without knowing the knowledge of what's happening in the communities that you're serving? So yeah, I'm really but, glad you brought that up. Look, what is a realtor at its core? A local market expert. expert. Period. Thank you. Yeah. If nothing else, because yeah. we're a lot of different things. Yes. But first and foremost, yes. we are a local market expert. If we're not, why are people paying us so much money? Yeah, exactly. Exactly. Yeah. So so let's go back to the $75 million deal. Yeah. Any yeah, other, I know, I know, sure. it's great. Well, we're talking, sure. about yeah. deal, we're talking about deal fatigue, talk, negotiation yeah. fatigue. Yeah, yeah. You know, it was supposed to be a 30-day all-cash deal or whatever, however the financing was, or if there was financing, probably not. And then it turned into an eight-month deal. Talk to us about the final last few days or weeks. Oh, my God. Because you know that's where the juice is. It, it was it was treacherous. Yeah. Um, so you know deals like this, particularly at this level, because for guys that are at this level, that as we said before, kind of march the, be yes. the beat of their own drum. It, this is sport. Yeah. Right. So these yeah. things really come down to leverage, yep. right? And who has it from one moment to the next? Um, I'll tell you just a, a quick story about the closing. So the the representative flies in for the closing. Mm -hmm. We're there. It's all good. We're sitting down with the developer who's talking about like this two-year concierge package. So whenever the principal flies in, and this is what it's like at this level, the house is fully staffed. And when I say fully staffed, I'm talking about like a butler and a, full a chef, driver and a chef masseuse, and this and, and yeah, that, yeah. you know, armed yeah. security detail and the whole nine. Yeah. And like we're literally sitting at the table talking about like what type of thread count he likes. That's the yes. legit conversation we're having. And my phone starts blowing up from the attorney. And this is a very long story, but the Cliff Notes version of it is that something had been recorded on title by the seller a few weeks prior without anyone's knowledge. And all of a sudden, I mean, like the whole deal came to a screeching halt. Yeah. Like everyone went to their opposite sides of the room. We came back and literally renegotiated. We were at the final walkthrough and renegotiated the terms of a holdback because of certain repairs that need to be made post-closing. Like, I, you know, at, for a big deal like this, the greatest advice I can give, honestly, get an attorney involved. Yeah. Which I know for some of you on the East Coast, like in New York, it's that's, automatic. It's automatic. In California, that's not automatic. Yep. For bigger deals like this, you have to have an attorney, attorney involved. It's yep. not, and that, by the way, that's not an ego thing. That's not, you're not good enough, or mm -hmm. where that's, you just need an attorney involved. 100%. Um, so, yeah. Uh, I, I'm not sure where else I go from there. What, what happened when it closed? Uh, we popped champagne the yeah. second we got the recording confirmation. <laughs> literally, that's not like... 8.30 in the morning. We ping. literally, I had a bottle of champagne in the fridge at the office. Yeah. And, um, I mean, you know, it just felt so good to get across the finish line. Because the yeah. thing is, in our, you know, look, we, my wife and I talk about this all the time. You talk about this. Tony talks about this. How important it is to celebrate the wins. Yes. Right? Yes. You have to do that. Yes. otherwise, you're just... Why are you doing it all? Exactly. Why are you going through the fight? The problem with that in our business, my struggle with that mm -hmm. personally, and I'm sure a lot of you guys can agree with this or, or, or you know, empathize with this, is that 
generally the most enjoyable part of any transaction is when you get it signed, right? Mm -hmm. It's when you get the listing signed, mm -hmm. because from there you're going to enter into, you know, it could be weeks or months of this painstaking long process, total yeah. slugfest. By the time you get to the finish line, you've just barely just dragged it, kicking and screaming across the finish line. And you're just exhausted, yeah. right? The idea of celebrating just sounds like, what are you kidding? Like, no. I just, I'm just, you know, happy this is done with. Yeah. This one, we celebrated. Yeah. This one, we were really yeah. excited that like, it's just, it's monumental. It was, it was the eighth highest sale in the history of LA. And you don't, you don't get to participate in a deal like that every day. So yeah. that was, it was humbling and, uh, it's just awesome. I'm so proud of you, man. Yeah, so thanks. proud of you. So, all right. So I got to ask a couple, couple of questions. Uh, how did you market the sale afterwards? <laughs> right. I, I asked you about that. Yes. Yeah. Yes. Um, through a, a variety of different things. Mm -hmm. First of all, we put together, you know, a really comprehensive um, social media campaign mm -hmm. where, you know, first we wanted the press to pick it up. Because yeah. a sale like this is a notable sale. Press is going to pick it up. And we thought, we don't need to be the ones out there pounding our chest. Let mm -hmm. the press do that for us. And we'll Bingo. just kind of ride their coattails, right? We'll Smart. draft them. Yep. So we just kind of drafted the press uh, train for about the first week. And then we kind of do started you know, sprinkling our own little things out there. Mm -hmm. um, I shot, I hired a videographer. We shot a custom video that was uh, sort of interlaced with images of the house. Mm -hmm. And it was essentially just like this, someone asking me questions mm -hmm. about just talking about what the sale was and you know what it meant to be a part of it and so forth. We put that out through our social media. We put that out to our entire database. Um, we did custom mailers that we sent out to that neighborhood because believe it or not, Bel Air, which is where the property is located, which is one of the most prestigious neighborhoods in the world mm -hmm. is not an area that really many people farm. You're no. certainly not door knocking it, no, right? These no. are massive estates. Yeah. Um, and most people wouldn't really think to farm it. Same way most people wouldn't think that you're going to ever meet a buyer like this. But, yes. and, and the reality is the percentages are very low. But, you know, it's not like winning a lotto ticket. But if you put yourself in the right position, like, so since this sale happened, I've had a number of agents that have reached out from all over the country. Sure. Some of them, I'm sure, yes. your clients. and asked how do you get into the high-end arena yeah and so for example this agent in florida reached out and he said hey i'm selling deals at like you know one to two million pretty consistently but i really want to be in that three to five million dollar range how do i get in there and the first thing i said was well where do those people live and what are you doing to put yourself in proximity of them mm -hmm. right it's like again another proximity is power man exactly one of the greatest principles yep. you'll ever hear absolutely where do those people hang out? What country club mm -hmm. do they go to? What church do they go to? Yep. Where do they socialize? Yeah. Where do they eat? Where do they dine? Yeah. Where do their kids go to school? Are you putting yourself in proximity to them? Because if they're on the other side of the tracks and you're just looking at them from afar thinking, I wish one How do day, I get there? Right. Yeah. You got to cross the tracks. Yes. You got to get over there. Yeah. Right? And even if you can't, even if like that's not your world, I personally hate the expression, fake it till you make it, because mm -hmm. I, I think that's applicable sometimes. Yes, mm -hmm. sometimes in, in a pinch you kind of have to, but I prefer... Learn it so you can earn it, Yeah. right? Go do the work, put yourself in that space, and ultimately opportunities will present themselves. People want to talk about real estate. Yes, yes, and they want to talk to people that understand the market. So the, yes. my answer always is, how much time are you spending studying the high-end marketplace? Who are the buyers, who are the sellers? What's going on, what's moving, what's not? What are the price trends over the last five to 10 years? Having that little insight knowledge that nobody else knows. Right. And then you said it like, by the way, he's down here with me in, in Newport Beach, heading to a multi-family office meeting for the weekend to basically spend time networking with a bunch of wealthy people. Yeah. How, like, how do you do that? 
I mean, this is a serendipitous moment because it's a dear yeah. friend and the wine. But like, but again, relationships, relationships, relationships. Tell them about the story. I mean, it's it's coming up. Nothing's happened yet. Yeah, yeah, no, it's fine. Um, so again, it's all about relationships. Um, wine's a big passion of mine, same as yeah. you, right? So a buddy of mine owns a boutique winery up in Napa. Um, he just he just gets it right. He yeah. understands that like the more people he gets in front of, the more he's going to sell. Yes. So. He's always open to doing different types of events and sponsorships, and he is providing the wine for a very exclusive event that's going to be the closing event for this family office party yep. or this family office uh, conference. What's so, a family office, just so maybe some of the are not familiar with the term? So a family office is basically, when you're talking about a family that has real wealth, I mean, generational wealth, billions of dollars of wealth, yep. they're going to have what's called a family office. And that is an office, a boutique office that runs all their, finances, all their finances, all their investments, exactly. all their deals, everything. Right, yes. because they don't just have a mortgage and they don't just no. have like a portfolio account with Schwab. Yeah. Right? That's not how it works. So yeah. they have literally a small office that runs everything for them. So yeah. this, is, a, this is Uber, Uber 1%. Yeah. So anyways, there is an organization that is putting on an event. Um, I'm not going to say where. No. <laughs> Even though I think this will air afterwards yes, or whatever. Will. Yeah. Um, and it's a very exclusive group of people, yep. invite only, yep. the kind of, I'm not going to say any names, but names that anyone would know, yeah. right? Institutional names. Um, and so anyways, my buddy is providing the wine for this closing event. And he said, you know what? They need a venue for the party. Yeah. Right? Do you guys have any, I don't know, like awesome multi-million dollar houses down in Orange County that we could use? And he didn't call me. Thanks. <laughs> <laughs> I said, yeah, I'm sure Isn't, we can help you with yeah, that. Yeah, we've got an office in Newport, of course. Right. And by providing that, they said, you know what? Why don't you come down here and be our guest for the weekend? Yes. And it's like, absolutely. So I'm going to go just spend three days just rubbing shoulders and trying to, you know, make impressions and build relationships and again it, to me i always say this to people particularly to younger agents buying or selling a house is far too important and far too personal of a decision to think that you're going to have so much influence over it yeah it's not about trying to find someone that needs to buy or sell a house today or tomorrow mm -hmm. it's about building a relationship building trust so that when that time comes be it tomorrow or 10 years from now you're the first person they think of yep. so these people i know i'm not selling them a house next week yeah but i'm hoping to build a relationship with them where i get to do more events with them create more experiences yes. with them and then ultimately when that opportunity presents itself i'm top of mind right? this sounds like the all of day two of the summit for this this august by the way so i'm, I'm loving this there you go yes that's what i meant to say <laughs> that's what i meant to say um all right so so let's go kind of i asked you you know what you do sort of post the transaction to market it the other question i want to ask is um, oftentimes, John, when someone's working with a, let's say their average sales price is 500000 and they suddenly got a $1.8 million deal, yeah. right? And all of a sudden, everything else in their world stops. They don't make phone calls anymore. They're not following up. All they're thinking about is their $1.8 million, <laughs> right? And they're just, they're freaking out. Yeah. How did you guys do? <laughs> That's a good question. You, would you like to hold the, yeah, exactly. you know, the not, $75 million baby? Not great. I mean, it's it's $75 million. There was a lot of sleepless nights. Yes. For sure. Yes. Um, but I mean, how did you do keeping all the rest of your business going? Right. Um, you kind of just have to remind yourself that at the end of the day, it is just another deal. Yeah. Right? Fortunately or unfortunately, we had plenty of other deals that were equally as difficult. Yes. Maybe not quite to the same extent, but yes. like there's no such thing as an easy deal today, at least not no. in the high end, at least not in LA. No. So, um, yeah, I mean, look, you can't put all your eggs in one basket. I know that sounds so cliche yes. and it's an overused yes. cliche at that, but like you just kind of have to, for, for us, uh, we've kind of built, I guess here's a long winded <clears throat> version of our sure. answer to that. 
we've built our whole model based on the basic principle of we're not in the business of turning down business, mm -hmm. right? So right now, our smallest listing is a $700,000 condo. Our highest listing is a $33 million house. Yes. And everything in between. Yes. Because our bread and butter is in that $1 to $2 million space, right? That's what keeps the lights on. That's what pays 100%. for the staff. Yep. We'd love to all just wake up and roll out of bed and sell a $30 million house every day. It's not happening. No. Right? No. So I think it's just a matter of really kind of focusing on don't lose sight of your of your bread and butter. Don't lose sight of what got you here. Um, and those big deals, I mean, it's natural human tendency and emotion. Like there's going to be some roller coasters of emotions that come with that. But at the end of the day, you know, it's the it's like the old adage, like you know, every person puts on their pants puts on their pants one leg at a time. Yeah, yeah. Same kind of thing. It's like yeah. these deals, you got to go through the same process, check the same boxes. Yeah. So, what was uh, what was your coach doing throughout the entire thing? I mean, it's eight months of this. That's, it sounds like it may have turned into therapy. Yeah, I mean, to be honest, we, we didn't spend a lot of time talking about the deal because Good. I wanted to focus, I focus coaching calls yep. on talking about the business. Smart. That's my 30 minute window to Smart. talk about the business. Yep. I have plenty of people in my life, my broker, my manager, yes. my wife that I can problem solve with. Yep. I don't do that in my coaching sessions. Smart. Yeah. I love that answer <laughs> for all my clients out there. All right, so Brenda, get over here really fast. So of course, uh, Brenda, who by the way, runs our podcast. Ah who you know, has this incredible background. Just carry, actually, Brenda, come, come take over the mic. To introduce yourself. <laughs> Hi, John. Welcome, welcome to the, the one that actually runs the podcast. I'm just, the, <laughs> I'm just the other pretty face. So give me your background and then ask John your question. It's hot. So, it is hot. Yes. Like, yeah, yeah. You're hot, man. You're on fire. <laughs> so, no editing in this podcast. Yeah, I'm Brenda, the podcast producer. Nice to meet you. So I run the Mindset Mondays, uh, Tom Ferry Podcast Experience, Throwback Thursday for Tom. And I just wanted to ask and know more about the, you know, experience of working alongside the architect, um, Hagi Belsberg. How was that like? You have experience, obviously, in development. Yeah. So can you share that with to our listeners, how sure. it was? Yeah, um, that was such a privilege because Hagi's a, a genius, in my opinion. Um, so I had gotten into doing some high-end development uh around 2007 was mm -hmm. actually, I laughed because 2007, if anyone remembers that, was just right before we went off the cliff. Um, built my first house 2007, sold it in 2009. Um, fortunately, we were able to get out relatively unscathed and then picked up this amazing piece of land. It was three parcels that had been tied together at the base of Sunset Plaza in LA, which if anyone knows that area is like right in the center of the bullseye for the Hollywood Hills. Um, we picked it up for a steal. I mean, this is March of 2010, really like the bottom of the market. And I think we picked up for 3875000 which again, I know it's a lot of money in other parts of the world. But um, in any event, uh, we spent about three and a half years building this house, um, hired Hoggy Bellsberg. I, got to, I was the, the developer on it, so my mm -hmm. job was essentially overseeing the whole project. So I hired the architect, the GC, and then oversaw civil, structural, and everything in between. Um, Hoggy, as I said before, uh, a genius and, and just an overall really great person. He's one of those people that you couldn't hope to have a, a better person in your corner. Um, and we, we built about a 13,000 square foot house um, that we sold in September of 2014 for 24 million. Awesome. And for our listeners who are developers and maybe want some new tips and tricks from that relationship that you had, what do you recommend for them to have like a very smooth, um, always communicated, relationship between the developer and the architect that they're working with. Well, if you want to have a smooth process in construction, I would say get out of construction because that's <laughs> never going to happen. Uh, I mean, I always said like what I enjoyed about doing development was that it was creative and it was artistic. And what I didn't like about it was 
everything else. Yes. I mean, I, you just I, I stopped developing because I, I came to a point where I, at least for me, I felt that I can't develop at a high level and sell at a high level. There's mm -hmm. just not enough hours in the day. Um, but I think it goes back to the same thing as what we do as agents, have a good team, mm -hmm. have a good team and everyone know their job. And that's the only way that, that can, I think, function efficiently. Awesome. Thank you, John. Yeah, sure. Love it. Love it. Thanks, Brenda. All right. So, hey, man, as we wrap this up, first of all, thank you. This sure. was super this awesome. fantastic. Um, make sure you give us some comments. This will be in the Thursday blog. So, it'll be okay. a text version, video version. Um, how can they follow you? How can they connect with you? Uh, pretty easy to find. You can find me on Instagram. It's just uh, at John Grauman. Uh, you can find me on Facebook, John Grauman. It's spelled J-O-N. and then G-R-A-U-M-A-N. Yes, exactly. J-O-N-G-R-A-U-M-A-N. Yeah. Um, and uh, I'm happy to put my email out there. Yeah. So email is uh, jgrauman, so J-G-R-A-U-M-A-N, at theagencyre, as in realestate.com. Let's make sure we just link it up there and make it super easy for everybody. So so uh, obviously, you know, we're going to see you a bunch. We'll see you in January at yeah. the Elite. We'll see you at the Summit. Um, just kind of closing thoughts. Just things you want to say if you could never talk to the, the Tom oh, Ferry ecosystem around the world again. People from everywhere watching, closing thoughts as we wrap it up. Oh, wow. Um... Okay, putting me on the spot there. Yeah. Uh, Versus all this other stuff, this wasn't yeah. putting you. <laughs> yeah, I got the rest of this was super easy. Um, what advice do you have for people? I'll make it more specific. Yeah. What advice do you have for people to finish the year strong and crush it in 2020? Okay, so I know Tom talks about this all the time in terms of you know number tracking and so forth, but actually do it. Actually sit down and more so than number tracking, goal setting, right? Start the year by really kind of talking about or, or focusing on what is it that you want to do? Mm -hmm. What is it that you want to achieve? Why is it that you want yes. to achieve that? Why is that important to you? I know you focus on that yep. a lot. That's so hugely important to get to the core of the why. Mm -hmm. And then manage it throughout the year, right? Mm -hmm. So here's a great analogy that I love is that, so what's the first thing that a plane does before it's about to take off, right? It sets its intention, yep. right? We are going to Hawaii. Okay, great, you set your intention. What's the next thing you do? Take action, fire mm -hmm. up the engines. Yep. Okay, cool, fire up the engines. What's the next thing? You take off, then what happens? Mm -hmm. You veer way off course, mm -hmm. and you're gonna be off course for 95% of that flight, yep. but what you do, you course correct, right? You check the numbers, you check and measure, check and measure, and course correct, and then ultimately these planes somehow land on a dime, which is still yes. miraculous to me that they're yes. able to do that. But the whole idea is that, you know, my wife and I, we sit down, we take ourselves out of our environment. So we go to either a really nice restaurant or we, you know, go out to Malibu and sit by the ocean yep. and we put ourselves in an environment that's, that's inspiring to us outside of our office. What do we want to achieve this year? Mm -hmm. Right. How are we going to challenge ourselves? How are we going to grow? Cause that to me is, you know, if you focus on fulfillment and what that means, it's growth, right? Yes. So how do you challenge yourself and make yourself uncomfortable so that you can grow? And then first quarter, we look at how are we doing midway through the year, fortunately, because and partly because of this huge deal, by midway in the year, we had far surpassed what our goal for the year was. Yes. Right? Our goal for the year was 130 million. Yeah. And we were already past that by June. Our, we set a new goal for 229 million. As I stand here, we're at 223 million. So we upped it to 250 because that's monstrous because why not because yeah. you got to push yourself well but and the plane's going the right direction exactly so keep the jets going totally. and don't stop keep going yeah and and i would just say like it's just numbers right that's all it really is yeah. if you can just it's make, math it's just math it's just math and compounding and we are fortunate enough to work in an industry that can grow geometrically if you allow it to yes right it can grow out in every single different direction if you just allow it to and that to me is fucking exciting yes right that's what gets me pumped up is yes that i love that when my phone rings and i don't know who's like i don't recognize the caller id i jump to that call yes it's just 
That's yes. another opportunity. That's another deal. Yes. That's someone that I didn't know yesterday that I get to talk to now. And not knowing where these deals come from, to me, if you flip the script on it, that's the exciting part of yes. it. Yes. Not the fearful part of it. I loved your line earlier. I'm not in the business of turning business away. I'm not in the business of turning down business. <laughs> yeah. Simple as that. Yeah. You never know what a $5,000 lease is going to lead to a $5 million listing. It happens all the time. Totally. All the time. Yeah. All right. So that was that was some pretty strong closing. That, that okay, was really I, good. Like, <laughs> you kind of got fired up. But I had to ask the more narrow question. You were like, okay, bring it on. Let's go. Bam. So, man, thank you. Of course. I'm super proud of you. Yeah, I mean, what, you. A, what a tremendous run. I know your coach, Mary, is probably just out of her mind watching this. So we love you, Mary and Lauren. Congratulations. Yes. Lauren, who's from, five months pregnant. That is that. insane. Yeah. Baby number two on the way. Newsworthy. You heard it here first. Yeah, there you well, go. I'm sure other people already heard it, but yes. <laughs> <laughs> All right, John. Thank you so much. All right, guys. Uh, make sure you give us some comments, some feedback. Can't wait to see your responses. Follow John on Instagram. Email him if you got questions. And hey, relationships, relationships, relationships. See you guys soon. If you want more information about this episode, including my show notes, mentions, links, and everything else, make sure you visit tomferry.com slash podcast. That's tomferry.com slash podcast. Thanks again and talk to you soon.